0: Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of Venturesuperfly.com, John Benzik.
1: Greetings, Product Launch Rebels, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. I'm your host, John Benzik, from Venturesuperfly.com, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even if you don't know what you're doing. In today's episode, I will be interviewing Davide Vegano, who is the co founder and the CEO of Sensoria Inc. Sensoria designs and produces biosensing fashion forward wearable garments. The vision of the company is that the garment itself will become the next ultra-personal mobile computer. Among other things they've designed a sort of smart sock for runners that helps them measure how fast and how far they've run. But not only that but also their cadence, the impact forces in the foot landing. This is how I first learned about Sensoria. Davide is a former Microsoft partner-level executive with over 25 years sales, marketing, and product management experience. More recently, he served as a general manager for Microsoft's Health Solutions Group, where he was in charge of marketing and product strategy. To learn more about Davide and Sensoria, visit SensoriaFitness.com. Davide, thanks for taking the time. I'm honored that you're here, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel Podcast.
2: Well, thanks, John. Thank you for having me.
1: It is such a thrill for me, such a cool product and company that you have. So Davide, within this podcast, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about Sensoria for our listeners. We'll talk about how you came up with the idea, who you sell to, the number and types of products. Revenues, things like that. And the second part is what I call tell me how. Well, we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help them move forward. We'll talk more about how you launch your business and some key functions of your business. And the final part, Davide, is the let's get personal component, where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. Davide, it's time for some questions. Are you ready for the interview? Yes, I am. Fantastic. Here we go. Davide, tell us the story. How did you originally come up with the Sensoria or the Smart Wearable Clothing business idea? And did it start with one product in particular, like the Smart Sock?
2: The genesis of Sensoria is uh, actually dates back to 2008-2009 when you probably re- remember the economy was was not doing great, right? right. Uh, there was a pretty substantial recession, and you know it was probably the worst recession after 1929, right? So people were losing jobs, and and uh, very little in terms of consumer products uh, was selling. You know, cars were staying in the lots. You know, obviously. Homes uh, were hit by the subprime mortgage disaster. So the only consumer product that was actually selling in the double di- with double-digit growth uh, year over year was uh, Fitbit and uh, and Jawbone, right? So uh, we we looked at that technology and that, at that time there were people that used to call wearable devices wrist-worn wearable devices glorified pedometers, right? So uh, people could buy a pedometer at Wal- at Walmart or uh, Walgreens for you know six bucks, but people were spending in excess of a hundred dollars for for something that could actually provide them with a very cool mobile app experience that was more engaging and exciting. So in your career and our and my career, which has been you know long, <laughs> it's it happens very very few times that. A consumer product grows against macroeconomic trends. So the, the PC, the personal computer, has done that against the oil shock. The Motorola, <laughs> you probably remember the brick, <laughs> the first mobile uh, mobile phone, uh, did that, uh, which morphed into 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 what we use, fancy iPhones and 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 uh, uh, and so forth. And so we kind of thought, hmm, this is interesting, right? So uh, these products are igniting the consumer imagination. Again, and and so we maybe because the founders of Sensoria are originally all of us from Italy, uh, we kind of asked ourselves a simple question, which was, you know, what are these uh, clunky and uh, plasticky devices going to morph into? Very much like the the first Motorola phone, you know, morphed into a very elegant form factor. Very much like the first uh, IBM personal computer, morphed into very thin and and great looking ultra books right i mean what are those wearable devices going to morph into and and we all came to the conclusion that it will morph into something that is more transparent and wearable so we all wake up in the morning and we all do the same things we take a shower we put our clothes on so wouldn't it be nice we asked ourselves if we could inject sensing biometric sensing technology and microelectronics into whatever we decide to wear in the morning. And that was the genesis of Sensoria.
1: And how did that come about? Were these fellow Microsoft executives that you were meeting with on the side? Or what? how did you have the relationship with these people? And what was the context for you to even be having that conversation in the first place?
2: Well, it was totally informal. We it, it were geeks, uh, not not executives. And and we were having pizza together. We were actually making pretty mean pizza. So.
1: <laughs> and so were you working in Italy at the time or were you there visiting family?
2: No, no, no. We were here in Redmond. Uh, we are originally from Italy, but we all worked for Microsoft Corporation. So my partner used to work for the Xbox uh, group. He actually was in charge of uh, some of the core components of Xbox Live. As you probably remember, those were the... Uh, software cloud components that enabled social gaming on Xbox before Azure
1: was implemented. And but were you actively looking for a business idea at the time with the intent of getting outside of Microsoft and starting a business? Or was it just, just a casual conversation at the time that turned into a business?
2: I, I, I definitely was looking for a, the next big thing, as we, we we were calling it. And the reason is because Microsoft had decided to divest from the healthcare businesses. Uh, my product line was sold to GE. Uh, so the healthcare solutions group uh, doesn't exist anymore within Microsoft is now called Caradigm. It's a, it's a GE owned company. So,
1: And so how did the idea take shape? You sort of spoke more generally about smart wearable clothing, but where would you choose first to create a specific product? What type of product?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and so the answer to your question is we asked ourselves, okay, what's, what's the part of the body uh, that is constantly under pressure and underserved by technology and innovation? And we came to the conclusion that you know, there were you know, multiple devices for you know, the human heart, as an example, right? So ECG and EKG, heart rate monitoring data and so forth. So we stayed, we stayed away from that at the beginning and we said, well, you know, the foot uh, is an interesting part of the body that is again constantly under pressure and uh, and is not seen a lot of innovation as uh, as we think about innovation in the in the in the in the world of geeks right so meaning capturing data and doing something actionable with it um and so we we, we, we said the sock seems to be a, a piece of garment that hasn't seen any innovation at all in our lifetime Right, so why don't we just uh, try to inject sensing technology into into socks? And we thought about multiple scenarios where that could be meaningful to different people. And if you think about running, uh, that's the one scenario that we had uh, we have identified as the most meaningful one because you know there are over 120 million runners in the world, and over 65 percent, according to some sources, 80 percent of all runners. In the world, get injured at least once a year. So, uh, we thought we could actually do good and do well by creating a biometric sock, biometric sensing sock.
1: Tell our listeners what the features and benefits of that sock are, and also more broadly what the scope of your product line is.
2: Well, before before I do that, John, it may be of interest to the entrepreneurs in your audience to actually realize that, you know it's very different, I mean, from the idea to the concept to the product, uh, it's a long journey, right? So very much like, you know, it happens in in the best families, I guess, we totally underestimated the challenge. We, we assumed, as an example, that we could just reach out to the largest uh, academic institutions and research cent- centers here in the U.S. and, and abroad and, and source components that would make a sock smart. And we were completely wrong on that. So, we, as an example, we could not find a textile pressure sensor. Uh, that could be embedded into 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 a piece of garment, and that was that was uh, that was a you know that was not fun. Uh, we we thought we could source those components, and we couldn't, so we had to go back to the drawing board. You know, you know, Microsoft guys designing sensors is not exactly ideal. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, that, but that's what we had to do. We had to come out with something that is a fraction of a millimeter thick, is washable, and uh, and can be embedded, woven or knitted into any piece of garment. So that was that was a big challenge. It took us over nine months to do that. It really is a, a challenge. And 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 my my suggestion here to the young entrepreneurs in your audience is, is just really truly and truly try to build a risk assessment phase into your business plan, trying to think about what truly you know and what you don't know uh, and and assess the risks related to to both both areas
1: yes very very excellent advice that is for sure every time it seems that an entrepreneur and I've experienced this myself getting into a new business you think the product is x and it solves solution y but then the nuts and bolts or the the underlying technology behind it becomes something that you didn't assume that really lengthens the process so what are the types of products that you offer what is the scope of your product line right now well, right now, we offer a full running system, which, uh,
2: which is comprised of smart socks with uh, textile pressure sensors embedded in the plantar area of the foot and a piece of microelectronics that connects to them. Um, and, and we also offer a line of upper garments, uh, which provide heart rate monitoring data. And uh, we've built a mobile application experience with the virtual intelligence engine that allows a runner to, to get actionable feedback uh, in real time, both visual and audio feedback, while he or she runs. So that's what we call the running, the Sensoria running system.
1: How long have you been in business
2: now? <laughs> so we started <laughs> Sensoria, actually. We started Sensoria uh, at the very beginning of 2011. Um, I was the only person working full-time for that company at that time. Then my partners joined me later that year. Uh, leaving Microsoft. Uh, so you know we've been in business since two thousand eleven. And how many employees do you have right now? <laughs> Depending how you count them, sure. because uh, <laughs> as you know, startups fair- are fairly are fairly uh, creative in uh, in the way they scale uh, we as have they should 20- be, right. Yeah. So we have about twenty people full time, primarily engineering resources, very, very few. Uh, business people, um, so we have you know from materials engineers to electronic engineers uh, mechanical engineers, electronic engineering um, so and signal processing, which is even probably more important the, the The value of sensoria is really truly in the multidisciplinary team, and I can tell you, John, at the beginning, one of the challenges was actually. That these people coming from different different backgrounds and different disciplines, you know, a K2 Sports materials engineer and, and, and a UW researcher uh doing signal processing, uh, they speak completely different languages, right? It was like the Babel Tower. Now they realize that they can solve each other's problems. And I'm I'm constantly in awe how you know a, a software engineer can solve a mechanical engineering problem and, and a materials engineer can solve a signal processing issue, right? So and that's huge that's that that is fantastic to see and uh, but it takes time
1: yeah it's just an I- interesting match and a mix of capabilities on your team and and 20 people that's more than i would have thought how do consumers get your product now and do you sell through any brick and mortar retail at the moment
2: we our cost of goods sold is still fairly high to go through multiple tiers of retail distribution so people can Purchase our products both on our website and on Amazon worldwide, um, and we also have some. We're running some specific testing
1: uh, in Europe uh, in retail chains as well. And why did you choose those particular retail chains in Europe, and why not in the United States at this point?
2: Well, for for multiple reasons. You know, the U, the U.S. It, the complexity that. Geographical complexity of the U.S. requires, you know, massive investments in merchandising, inventory and so forth. Right. So we decided to actually go to other developed countries and run some specific testing uh, first, because, again, that those some some of these countries probably think the consumers or distance runners in general think the same way. But the cost of distributing is substantially lower.
1: Davide, most entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions, and many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they expected, thereby making them scramble to make changes in order to survive. And regarding the smart sock and the uniqueness of that sock, did your original assumption about its uniqueness prove motivating to consumers? Or did you have to discover a slightly different selling proposition? After being in business for a while and getting some customer feedback,
2: <laughs> John, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the only assumption that constantly proves correct is that all our assumptions are probably constantly wrong. It's 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 always it's always a process of adjusting um, and uh, validating assumptions with real technical and customer data. We are making now substantial improvements to. To our smart sock, we just announced uh, sock 2.0 uh, at CES this year. We were honored to win Runner's World Award at CES with that product. Uh, That's
1: fantastic.
2: So yeah, it was great. We were on, on stage with Under Armour, uh, which you know was uh, just us and them. Fantastic to, to to realize that you know a small company can be uh, as innovative as as a multi billion dollar corporation. So so the point is there is a lot that we're learning. Uh, there is very little that we were right on, but you know this constant course correction is required um, to
1: to improve the experience. So Davide, here we are in the "Tell Me How" segment of the podcast, where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Davide, let's talk about raising capital, getting money for your startup. I assume you needed to raise capital for Sensoria. How did you go about doing that? Well, first of all, we were in a
2: fortunate situation because you know we we had savings that we could use, and so we totally funded the company ourselves during the feasibility the feasibility, the feasibility stage. That's that's unusual, I guess. But you know, we 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 spent many years working for a large company, and that helped a lot. Um, now, uh, of course, we took. It, we were able to take over substantial technical challenges, which, again, is fairly unusual, uh, and file for patents and patent protection, which we received uh, in the first year, year and a half of uh, of our journey. Uh, It would have been extremely unlikely and difficult to reach out to investors when we honestly didn't know whether uh, our idea could be validated by a technical feasibility right i I mean coming to an investor and saying look i have an idea for a smart sock i have no idea whether this will work it's not an easy conversation so we decided to wait for for the first year create the sensor once uh that was a that was a great day when we realized that you know our assumptions on the technology side by building the sensors we build could be validated so it was feasible at that point we raised the angel funding some angel funding less than a million dollars in angel funding uh, that was all the money we had uh, we of course we not getting uh, we did not get a salary for over two years and at that point we decided to actually run a crowdfunding campaign it was 2013 and we said well you know let's see if people want this thing right if runners get injured Uh, measuring cadence and impact impact forces could be interesting for them. Uh, Being able to compare over 8,000 models of running shoes like we do today could be interesting for them, but we don't know. So we decided to go with Indiegogo, uh, ran a successful crowdfunding campaign, overachieved our goals, uh, raised over almost $120,000, fully realizing that the product was not ready, at that point, we just had the components ready and a lot more needed to be done. So we committed to, to deliver the products a year after uh, the closure of the conf- crowdfunding campaign. And we were late as everybody else uh, in delivering those products, but uh, that was the beginning. Um, in 2014, we closed our first round of investment from a single investor we were able to raise at that point after the crowdfunding campaign success, $5 million in, uh, in funding. From one
1: single source, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, one, one single strategic investor. And, and so, so that allowed us finally to, to hire some of the people that we really, truly wanted to hire and, and, and put the pedal to the metal.
1: How did you find that one investor or did he or she find you? No,
2: I guess they found us. I sold my first company when I was 26. And uh, and uh, those investors reached back to us and uh, and wanted to invest. Fine. Money is money, but this concept is is so wrong. You know, people are more important than money many, many times. So, you know, we're honored to have a fantastic investor on our board. Um, their goal is to make us successful, period. They have no secondary goals. They don't look for a quick exit. I mean, we're, you know, we're building a journey. And, uh, and, and so we can't afford to be distracted and,
1: and that we were just really fortunate to find them. Yeah, that's terrific. Congratulations. And you mentioned that they were a strategic investor. What sort of value did they bring to the overall cause other than the money?
2: Well it's a great that's a great question. I mean the, the, the answer is it's well the name of the company is Reply SPA. Uh, it's a large system integration company in Europe. There are over 8,000 IT consultants strong. so think about them as like a small but not too small, I guess Accenture. The fact that they have those resources allows us to provide them with an SDK uh, or a developer kit and uh, think about actually leveraging our sensing technology into, as an example, car seats uh, for posture detection in self-driving cars. I, I cannot afford to have my team distracted by these interesting scenarios, but we can leverage their knowledge and customer contacts uh, to do that if we wanted to, right? So that, that was part of the decision to go with a strategic versus a pure
1: financial. Investor, and how smoothly did the capital raise go with that investor?
2: I guess it's unusual, but very smoothly. I, I, you know, the our term sheet was super clean, and and uh, it continues to be that way. I mean, we we have full support from Reply. You know, that's uh, I guess I hear at least
1: uh, fairly unusual,
2: but but that's that's how it is.
1: Yes, that is unusual and good for you. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about finding somebody to help you manufacture the sock, for example, in the garments. How did you go about finding that manufacturer for the Sensoria sock? It must have been a real challenge, especially combining technologies. Yeah,
2: you're, yeah, you're right on. Um, so this is actually an area where we knew this was going to be a challenge. Uh, and it turned out to be absolutely a much larger challenge than we thought. You know the sock knitting machines
1: are—I've never—I've ever seen one. Um, I think I don't know if I've seen a sock one, but I've seen knit hats produced. Yeah,
2: so so think about like a like a crazy robot with uh, a bunch of needles at the top running at thousands and thousands of RPMs. I mean, as you can imagine, the cost of producing a sock is just—you know—is is really related to how quickly you can create one, right? Sure. And, yeah. Cost of material and and cost of uh, people is is fairly limited because everything is automated at this point that is a challenge for you know fancy uh, highly technical materials right which, uh, because they could be damaged by by those by those processes right so we had to interview 70 70 uh, potential macro. suppliers yeah it was it was challenging uh, for a very small you know less than 10 people company
1: so if i were to hold your sock in my hand right now if we were to be looking at your sock can you tell that it has that sensoria aspect to it?
2: Yeah, you, you, you,
1: you can. Um, the
2: sock has a golden uh, yarn uh, that goes down the length of the sock, and that is actually to provide energy to the sensors. Uh, the sensors, uh, uh, you, can, you cannot really see the sensors. The sensors are actually embedded in the plantar area of the foot, I guess. But then you can also see the connecting point for the Bluetooth smart Uh, electronics at the top of the sock so uh, you can cover the electronics with with the cuff of the sock to to secure it so you don't lose it during like a trail run is an example but i guess it's uh, you know the sock feels like a normal sock Uh, people cannot feel the difference uh, between a normal highly technical sweat wicking (laughs) running sock Uh, but you know it's it's fairly unique i guess
1: would you call the manufacturer of your sock the one that you chose to do this were they pretty much a traditional sock manufacturer? Explain that. Well, there are three things that happened for us, luckily enough for us, I guess. Uh, number
2: one, yes, it was a traditional sock manufacturing company in the US. Uh, this is important for IP protection reasons. We did not want to go to Asia first before receiving full patent protection. Number two, uh, they had an electronic engineer on staff, incredibly unusual. And we just got the lucky there. Yeah. And number three, yes, they were interested in innovating, right? We clearly, we were not clearly a volume leader for them, right, but they really were keen on doing something new. So this, if these three aspects, you know, are not there for us, it's extremely unlikely that a supplier or partner can work with us. It took a long time and a very large number of conversations, as I mentioned before. <laughs> To find them Uh, we found them in Wisconsin and uh, we were very glad we did uh, at that point Because we couldn't have done it without them.
1: So if I put the sock on if I put it on wrong Let's say I'm in a hurry and I put it on and it's halfway where it's not supposed to be Is the measurement accurate?
2: Yeah, you still get some level of measurement because we the sock is a fully redundant system uh, so we rely on our textile pressure sensors, but we also rely on a three-axis accelerometer in the, in what we call the anklet. Uh, so the answer is yes.
1: Talk about some of the challenges that you had in working with the particular manufacturer that you found. There must have been a, a number of challenges in working with them, not just because of the technology, but also... Whenever you're working with a new partner, there are challenges that are involved, human challenges, technological challenges. Can you explain some of those if you had any?
2: Oh, no, it's, uh, our supply chain is complex to say the least, uh, John. I mean, our socks are manufactured in Wisconsin. Our upper garments are made in Mexico. We leverage NAFTA. Um, And our electronics are designed here on the West Coast, but made in China, right? So- Very complicated. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anything and everything we do tends to be fairly complex. Um, But once you do it, it can be done. You know, Mm -hmm. another advice for an entrepreneur is you'll find you'll find countless people explaining to you that you cannot do something until you do it. Right. Um, It's just a matter of wanting to do something. And almost anything can be done. Um, So don't don't listen. I mean, get the feedback if it is constructive and decide whether to use it or not uh, to your benefit to achieve your goals. But you know, people that tell you you can't do this, they, they draw your energy. Um, and so you want to avoid those guys. Uh, and there is a bunch of them out there.
1: Yes, good advice. Let's talk about pricing. How did you go at setting the price for this particular type of product? I imagine because it's so new and you have small production runs that you have a hard time with the gross margin and hitting a certain price point, so your price probably has to be really high, but then on the other hand, there's a huge value add for your type of product. What were the challenges that you had in setting the price?
2: Yeah, the cost of goods sold uh, is still fairly high for the reasons I just explained. And like you said, John, we had to go back and forth countless times from Washington State to Wisconsin trying to figure out the best way of of building the SOC. But then remember, the SOC is just one of the three core components of the system. Then there is the, the flexible electronics that connects to the SOC, and then there is the software and the signal processing required to make sense of the data, right? So each one of those components is, uh, you know, proved to be as challenging as expected or more. The, our pricing is uh, limited by by the by the sheer cost. Uh, we want to make the, the product as as affordable as possible. And in order to do that, we decided to decouple the electronics from the socks. So when people, you know, our socks are less than $24 per pair, right? So it's, uh, I don't know about you, but when I go and buy technical socks for running, you know, I, I spent between 18 and $21. So anyway, so, uh, and, th- and those are not smart socks. They're
1: just <laughs> dumb socks. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm surprised that your price is that low.
2: Yeah, I mean, of course, the first time you buy the, let's say, the electronics, uh, and so we bundle two pairs of socks with the electronics and the charger. And so the first time is a $199 investment, $100 and $99 investment. But, 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 it's, but it's just a one-time price. And then after that, Each pair of socks is less than 25 bucks.
1: Let's talk about marketing your product. Most startups have such small marketing budgets and it's really hard to create awareness and demand for your product. So I'm wondering, how have you approached marketing on limited budgets?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say zero marketing budget. Yes. (laughs) More like, uh, like the reality. Number one, the crowdfunding campaign was actually a great uh, way for us to to create awareness. Um, of course, it requires uh, substantial creativity on creating the assets. People and backers tend to be very, very keen on learning about the product, and if the product is new, the quality of the video and the images and the copy. Uh, the assets uh, has to be really, really good, right? So building those assets uh, for a reasonable amount of money uh, or actually an unreasonably low (laughs) amount of money is a challenge. But that created some marketing for us. And number two is uh, PR. And uh, just really push the pedal to the metal on social media and PR and let your customers talk for you. We have a blog. Uh, where people can can read and and comment uh, on you know their experience, not just necessarily with our products, but as a runner. So yeah, uh, from a marketing from a marketing standpoint, the, the core and more important thing is really to to just assume zero marketing budget and and go from there. Now, of course, now is different from us. We do have a marketing budget and we we invest you know substantially uh, on the marketing side as much as we can. Uh, CES, as in particular, is very expensive, as you probably know. Just having a presence, presence at CES, and but we continue to be very, very disciplined on on, on how we
1: invest the limited amount of resources we have. So Davide, let's get personal on a few topics. It seems that ninety-nine out of hundred people just talk about starting a business, but they never start one. And I'm curious, what motivates a person like you? Davide Vegano to sort of leave that corporate world and go out and actually start a business like Sensoria.
2: Well, uh, John, I'm I'm the exception in my family. Uh, so my my dad is a small business entrepreneur. His six brothers are small business entrepreneurs back in Italy. My, my my brother is a is an entrepreneur as well. So I guess I was tired to to hear them say, "Shut up, you work for a boss."
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Davide, what have been your biggest joys, or what have you been most proud of since launching Sensoria? Oh, the,
2: you know the, the beauty—the beauty of building something from scratch. It's almost a, an artistic, creative pleasure. Unlike when you work for a large corporation, where of course everything is very, very joyful. When it's a, but it's a team effort all the time. In a startup, you 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 see. You know, the, you suffer through substantial frustrations and the sheer pressure every day because you're basically you're, you're on a time clock, you know, things have to happen and you're running out of fuel all the time. Right. So uh, it's like finding a place to land in a small airplane with very little fuel in, you know, IFR in instrument conditions. Right. So. You're always on, and you have to be on, right? You you don't have a choice, or you're not there the day after, right? So the joys are are, are real pleasures because when you, from a technical standpoint, when 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 you achieve things that we, multiple people told you could not be done, and and from a business perspective, when you land, you know, a a a, a deal, or or when when there is a great article that actually you know talks about. You know the feedback that the reporter is sharing positive feedback that a reporter is sharing on on the products you've built all becomes it becomes worth it you know it, you're doing something that could not be done before and 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 you've done it and it's you either and and it's it's very personal
1: Davide, many entrepreneurs even seasoned ones experience self-doubt as they go along their entrepreneurial journey how much self-doubt have you had if any and what have you Done to deal with it.
2: <laughs> I have no idea how to answer your question. I, I I live in constant, constant doubt. You know the only, the only thing that really validates what we're doing is really you know getting great customer feedback and 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 prove the fact that what we're doing is is valuable to someone and hopefully helps someone not just run fast and and far but also prevent an injury or recover faster from one. Right. So there there are constant frustrations, um, but. But it's but it's all worth it, I think, because because of what I just said.
1: And how has starting your own business Davide, changed you as a person, if at all?
2: Oh, it, it has changed me. I think if you ask my wife, who's probably one of the most patient people in the world, and I can't thank her enough, and my family for their patience. I mean, you know, you end up spending countless hours on things that you did not expect would require that amount of time. And that's that's the beauty of a startup environment, right? Every, every day is a new day, you're opening your inbox and there is something new you need to take care of. And you have to be careful not to, to get that thing to distract you from from the plan. But that happens every day, right? So you have to have a very supportive family to do that. And uh, <laughs> I guess your pain threshold has to be fairly high. <laughs> Otherwise, it's, you're not the right guy.
1: And what do you think you've learned most about yourself in starting a business?
2: I, I learned, I learned about, you know, more about my family and, and uh, how supportive they, they can be of, of my goals. I learned, I learned about being humble and understanding that, you know, you cannot, I mean, I was used to having resources and I, I didn't know at that time that how plentiful the resources are at the company like Microsoft, I thought getting budget. Uh, and getting things headcount approved was challenging. I mean, that's nothing compared to compared to what you have to do in a startup. So, so the amount of energy and effort required to achieve even even small goals is just ginormous. Easy things have have all been done, right? You, you can find an app to do almost anything these days, right? So everything that is easy, it's been done. It's out there. So what's left to do is this is a big realization about myself as well is like if you want to do something meaningful you, unfortunately it's going to be tough right there isn't you know, people get lucky and do easy things and get lucky
1: but you know that's the exception who do you think has most been most influential to you in your life either professionally or personally
2: well my having kids i guess uh is probably, <laughs> personally is is definitely the Probably the, 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 one of the most challenging things I've ever done: raising raising a family, raising kids, uh, trying to be respectful of their values and and think about other people's happiness instead of your own. But from a professional standpoint, I guess you know, building a team from scratch, building a product from scratch, building a company from scratch, I had not done that before. Uh,
1: so to me, that's to me, that's great. And finally, Davide. Did I miss any questions that you feel like you'd like to provide answers to, or do you have any closing bits of advice for our, our aspiring entrepreneur listeners?
2: Well, that's a great question. Very few, very few people, smart people, ask. And I would actually recommend, you know, entrepreneurs to ask that question even when they're raising capital. Right? It's like, uh, is there a question I haven't asked? I tend to actually ask that question every, every morning. I ask myself that question, and I always find something. Now, sometimes I decide not to get distracted by that. And it's hard. But sometimes you actually, you know, asking yourself, what do you not truly know? And does that matter? Is the second question you have to ask. Right. But it's a great question. I I find that useful. So yeah, the question you asked is a very, very important question
1: to me. Um, It's part of my daily life. Davide, you've been a terrific guest offering some great stories and advice. To our aspiring entrepreneur listeners, congratulations on your success, for your entrepreneurial courage, and for sharing your experiences with us today.
2: Well, thank you, John. It was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business.